Well, good morning. I guess I'm not getting lights today. <laughs> oh, there we are. Let there be light. Oh, where have I heard that before? Um, you know, uh, I love that encounter because it, it is just about being intentional. Ask a question, see where it goes. It's fantastic. Uh, today, uh, if you have a younger child, you should have probably gotten an email this week. Uh, so let me give you a background. Uh, the lead team, which is Lillian, Dustin, and myself, felt after reviewing last week's sermon, you know, uh, we, we support and advocate for parents to be the ones to pass on values to their children, especially in this area of, of sex. And so uh, we don't want to be, the, we don't, and we believe that the parents should have the right to determine when their children hear about certain things. They can tell when they're best ready and they're best ready to talk about it. And so rather than being surprised when you come into a sermon, oh no, it's a, it's, you know, a, an adult sermon. He's going to talk about adult flavored uh, topics. And here I am with my child. Uh, so we sent out, I sent out a parental advisory email this week saying, uh, I'm, I'm going to be talking about some adult topics today, so if, if, you don't, if you don't want to have your child exposed to that yet, then just be aware of that and you're free to step out or uh, usually get your child into our uh, kids program, um, providing that there's enough volunteers. And, and so that's, that's what was sent out this week. And so if you're here and you didn't get one, you want one, just go to info at Springvale, say, please put me on the parental advisory list. We just want to be uh, aware and sensitive to the fact that people, this is a topic that you need to teach your children. And uh, maybe you're the best one, not maybe, you're the best one to determine whether or not they're ready to hear it. So, uh, wives, you might want to ask your husbands to leave. They're maybe not ready to hear this, so uh, uh, no, just a joke there. Uh, just not a good one, that's all. Um, so, so, sex is something that God gave. Uh, it's a good gift from God to people. And it's like a river. A river is, a, is great for watering crops, for transportation, for water for people. But when a river overflows at banks, it becomes destructive and destroys the very good things that it produces. And so the sex is the same way. It's a great gift. It's like a river that used correctly in the right direction is a fabulous gift, is a great gift. It brings life. But when it overflows its banks, it will destroy those lives that it touches. And so Paul is uh, dealing with the issue of sexual immorality in Corinth. We're going through Corinth, or the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And uh, we're dealing with stuff as they come along. Somehow, I got all these chapters. I, I, I think, I don't know why. Uh, that definitely needs some review. Next time, Dustin and Lester and Blair, they can ha share in some of these. But I think it's because we divide our schedule by uh, uh, time and dates rather than topic. It wasn't until I started getting into it, I'm like, how did I end up with all these chapters? But uh, uh, yeah, so I just have to keep moving through. So uh, the context of this chapter, you have to understand, is Paul helping the Corinthians walk with Jesus in a culture very sexualized and in lives that were very sexualized 
previous to coming to Jesus and continuing to struggle with it as they seek to follow Jesus. It's not like they're done with sexual temptation. It's that now they're trying to face it and honor Jesus with how they live. And so uh, we got that last chapter, and then Paul's still uh, continuing with it because he says, now for the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man to have sexual relations with a woman. So he's saying it's not bad to have sexual relations, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. So here's the guidelines. If you want to follow Jesus, here's what I want you to be aware of, that, yeah, sex, nothing wrong with it, but keep it in the marriage. So there's the guideline. That's how the river flows without destroying things around it. I don't think any of you are shocked that I would have just said that or that the Bible teaches that. But understand, sex is a good gift, but when it overflows the right boundary set by God, it becomes destructive. The problem with it, that we all know, is it just feels so good, so we're willing to let it overflow. And Paul says, if you're going to follow Jesus in a world that is sexualized and in lives that have been touched by that before you came to Christ and are still being tempted, you need to understand that you, you keep that gift in your marriage. And by the way, there are a lot of marriages that do that. It's not impossible. There are temptations, but it's not impossible. There are a lot of marriages, Christian and non-Christian, that keep sex within their marriage. Clearly, there was a problem here, and uh, so Paul has to address it. Verse 3, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. Now, here are going to become some interesting verses when it comes to this whole thing. Hey, husbands, you're responsible to satisfy the needs of your wife. Wives, you're responsible to satisfy the needs of your husband. That would be a statement that most men would like, most women would like, but if you're a feminist, this would offend you. I'm not responsible to care for anybody's sexual needs. But Paul says, no, if you're married, you are. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So I can just see tonight, honey, let's do our devotions. Just let's talk about what Pastor Ed talked about. Do not deprive one another. I find it interesting how Paul addresses this topic. Like, uh, Crystal and I went to, uh, last year we went to a, a Together Forever. No, no, Together for Good. Together for Good. Power to Change has a, one of its ministries is a marriage ministry. And you go away for a weekend, and these presenters are unbelievable. At, they, they deal with uh, four or five different areas of marriage. In fact, it was so good that Crystal brought it back here, and her and her team have been offering those sessions. Uh, there's, I think, six of them through the year. They start September, they go in May. So they're basically once every month, except for December and March, when parents tend to be a little busier. 
And uh, they, you get this teaching. Now, you can't get in it now. It's full. But in the fall, I'm hoping they're going to offer it again. And I tell you, this is, unless, if you can go to the session with uh, this couple, but they, I think they're retiring, so you may not get them. They're incredible. This is just incredible. Anyway, they were dealing with sex. Because, let's face it, sex is a part of marriage, and it can be one of the most frustrating parts of marriage. There's more guilt and shame and manipulation and pressure and frustration and anger around this area and money, I think, the most in a marriage. The thing is, you can talk, you know, it's not embarrassing to talk about money with other people, but boy, it's hard to talk about sex with other people in your marriage. And so that what this couple said was to all of us is, you just need to understand some basic facts of marriage. And one of them is that in, a cup, in couples, one will have a stronger sex drive than the other. It's rare that in a couple, both have the same sex drive. They may, they may not. But usually, predominantly, there is one partner that wants more sex and one that's satisfied with less sex. And there's where it starts to clash. And so typically in these arguments within a marriage is I want, I want, I want, or I don't want, I don't want, I don't want, and so the battle becomes. And what Paul is saying is, Really, you seek to meet the needs of your wife. Wife, you seek to meet the needs of your husband. You guys will figure it out. So this is the secret of the Christian marriage that overflows into a lot more than the area of sex. But Jesus sought our needs first to the point of dying for us. And so that principle becomes embedded in a Christian marriage that my responsibility, true love, is me as a husband seeking the needs of my wife above my own and my wife and you as wives seeking the needs of your husbands above your own. And if you're in a context where each other is fighting to meet the other's needs, you're not gonna have a problem. It's when we fight to get our own needs, which is the natural default setting of all of us because we're broken. And Paul is saying, look, have sex, keep it in your marriage, and don't focus on what you want, focus on what your partner wants. And you'll figure it out. You won't have trouble coming to an understanding about how frequently and what kind of sex you want to have. You'll figure it out. Because if your heart is about what's best for them and her heart's about what's best for him, you guys, it won't be an argument. The only argument would be happening about, no, no, let's, I want to meet your needs, but then, no, no, don't worry about it, I want to meet you. That will be the argument, which is a pretty easy argument to solve. Interesting, isn't it? That the principle of Jesus Christ goes right deep into this area of our marriage and resolves it if we live it out. Now, of course, there's the problem is living that out. And Paul is giving guidelines and help with dealing with this very difficult and often struggling area of sex. And so your homework today for you is if go talk to your spouse about your sex life and seek them their needs to understand what it is they need and want and then they will seek to understand what you need and want and then the two you'll be able to figure this thing out 
Because I'm going to guess some of you are over this area. That's the first thing Paul says. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they can't control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, Paul, two things that are going to come out here. Paul's plan for dealing with sexual immorality in the church is stay single and abstain from sex and devote yourself to Christ, or get married and keep sex within the marriage and be devoted to Christ. There are your two options. So he says here to the widows and the unmarried, stay unmarried, like me. But if you can't control themselves, you should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. So, Paul is not saying the only reason to get married is to have sex. Remember, Paul's context is what? He's dealing with sexual problems and sexual immorality. And he's saying, if you keep falling in this area, look, and you can't keep your hands off, you know, the one you're engaged to, or your girlfriend or boyfriend, it's like, first of all, that, that didn't help because our culture is so different than theirs. If you were going to get married, you'd be, there was a process you would go through and you'd get engaged, it was very formal. Uh, Paul says, look, just get married. Now I wonder, I wondered about Paul's advice in our culture today for, he says, widows and the unmarried. So the unmarried would be the younger and the widows would be those who had been married, but their spouse had died. What's the answer in our culture? Look, it's too expensive to live in our world today. You gotta save for a house. You have to, you know, get established in your job. And probably better to get married when you're older. And oh yeah, the sex thing, just have sex. That is certainly the cultural standard in our world. And they don't follow Jesus, so they're not compelled to follow any, cultural, any commands in Scripture. The problem is I think it's leaked <laughs> better than it's been like a tsunami in the church. And so, oh, instead of obeying Jesus, I'll put off getting married so I can get my career and my savings and everything intact. And, oh, I won't abstain from sex. I'll just keep, I'll just have it. And Paul says, either live singly, abstaining from sex, or get married if you can't stop yourself. Now, that's pretty good advice, except it goes against the culture in which we live. And so, every time we get scripture teaching us, we, it becomes a test to say, hold it, am I going to follow Jesus or I'm going to follow my own way? And so I know that this does not match what you expect or maybe even want or certainly what our culture tells us, but it's what Jesus says is best for you. And so the issue for you in this area, as with the previous one I talked about, is am I going to obey Jesus because I'm following him and he never fails? He won't. Isn't that a great, there's your message for today. He won't. He won't fail. 
Am I going to trust that he really does love me and that if he gives me instruction like this, even if it's hard and even if I have to deny myself and take up my cross and follow him, that it's what's best? There's the faith that you have to have to follow Jesus in this area of sex. I remember um, <clears throat> an older man, he's a godly man, uh, a friend of mine and had been in ministry, I, I would guess he's at least 20 years older than me. And uh, he was talking, we, we sat down, we were talking, and he got talking, he had just got remarried, his wife had died and he got remarried. This happened a long, a while ago. And uh, I, I said, you know, I just asked him, is that really the best thing? Because, you know, I'm watching people getting remarried. It doesn't always go great. And he said, well, wait till you get there, Ed. If you ever get there, God forbid you ever do. But if you do, the loneliness and the, the lack of sex will really weigh heavily on you. And I don't doubt it's true. But Paul says... It's actually better to stay unmarried. Now, some of you are going to struggle with this, but uh, Paul's quite clear, and we're going to get into it in this verse, this chapter, that um, being single is a high calling, and it's an answer to the sexualized culture in which we live. It's not wrong to get married, he says, but he says I think it's better to stay single. I wonder if that might be something some of us need to think through more clearly instead of allowing our emotions to drive us. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. Now when he says not I but the Lord, he's not saying, I moved on by the way, <laughs> uh, verse 10. Uh, when he says not I but the Lord, he's not saying, well, Jesus didn't say it, so it really doesn't apply to you, but if you want to, use this. That's not what he's saying. He's saying... Jesus didn't speak to this issue in this way, but I am, and I am apostle of God, given the authority of God and the inspiration of God, so what I say is as much from God as if Jesus said it. I've heard people explain this. Well, you don't really have to follow this. It's just a suggestion. <laughs> That's not what Paul meant. He's saying people are going to argue against him and say, well, Jesus didn't say it. He goes, well, what does that matter? I have the authority of God and the Holy Spirit to say this. It's coming from God. A wife must not separate from her husband. So here's going to be another one. This is not typical Christian teaching, but it's in the Bible. Isn't that funny? It's not typical Christian teaching, but it's in the Bible. Something's wrong with our typical Christian teaching. To the married, I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. Oh, well, Ed, that sounds pretty typical. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. So now he's going to lay down the platform. When these, I, I, it, it's clear from the book that when these Corinthians became Christians, it was causing such an up, 
up a stir and, and upsetting their life that they were making decisions, and some of them bad. And he's going to go into a section here, we're going to go through it, where people are leaving their spouses because uh, of the sexual immorality maybe that the spouses were involved in through the temple prostitutes, or they're leaving their spouses because now uh, they worship a false god and, and we don't, and so we need to make separation to protect ourselves. Or they were just arrogant. We're now the righteous. We're now the, the chosen of God. What am I doing hanging out with you, you dirt? And so I'm going to separate from you. So it was something like that that's going on. He doesn't, he's not explicit because they know what is behind all this. So he says, look, the first, don't separate from your spouse. The, the command is, the, although he words it differently, the command is the same for husband or wives. Don't separate from your spouse. Have a heart that seeks reconciliation. Why? Because that's the heart of the gospel. When we sinned against God, he didn't throw us out and say, well, forget about you. He chose to, to reconcile with us. And I'm not sure if you know this, but he had to die painfully to make that happen. And so when Paul says, look, don't separate, clearly he's not talking to people who have a great marriage. He's talking to people that want to separate. And so he says, trust and walk with God in your pain. But if it gets too much, if you need to separate for safety, if you need to separate because you can't take it anymore, I understand. Go ahead, but remain unmarried or else be reconciled. So when you separate, if you have to separate. Now think about the value of, uh, 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 why would Paul ever say to a couple, yeah, go ahead and separate? Because sometimes a person won't change until a drastic event happens. And so sometimes a man or a wife has to separate from their spouse in order to send a clear message that if this doesn't change, we can't be back together. If you don't stop hitting me and the kids, then we're not coming back. If you don't stop cheating, then we're not coming back. If you don't stop with your control, excessive control, we can't come back. And so that's the message that Paul recognizes that. That is an option for people. Now, be careful with that option because when we separate, it's like, oh yeah, we'll make it work. But then, then when you are released from, when you, no, you're not released from anything. When you go into that separation state, it's easy to push that away and then to start to look somewhere else. And Paul says, you want to follow Jesus? Here's the best way. Remain with your spouse. But if you have to, be separated. I get it? Then remain unmarried or now work toward reconciliation. That's a hard saying. But it is the saying of Jesus to people he loves. That he knows what's best for us, even if it feels difficult. There's two offenses here. Some of you are offended that I would say, yeah, it's 
there are times you might need to separate. And you think, you should never have said that. No. Paul says it. The Bible says it. So I should say it. You don't need to feel second class. You don't need to feel like God is against you because sometimes that needs to be the step. The other offense is, yeah, and don't get remarried. Don't seek somebody new. Walking with Jesus is not always easy. And then again, life isn't. But we walk with Jesus because we love him. And so Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. It's, you're not doing this. You're not working at your marriage. You're not trying to be dis, uh, reconciled. You're not avoiding divorce because you, want, you don't want to be shamed or you don't want to hurt people in the church. That's got nothing to do with it. It's like, do you want to follow Jesus? He'll walk with you when you walk in his way. But the moment you go off on your own way, he, it's not that he stops loving you. It's that he will not bless sin and disobedience. And so now you're on your own. You've got to come up with the resources, the emotional, mental, spiritual resources to try to deal with your situation that you send yourself into. And the moment you're willing to repent yourself out of it, you'll find him there faithful. He will not fail. He won't. But he will not bless your disobedience. And so here, he says in this situation, this is how you handle it. Now, some of you are divorced. And you can't do anything about that now. So accept his love for you. Repent of what you need to be repented of. And now move on with Jesus. So the difference between Jesus and us is he doesn't throw us away. Now to the rest I say this. I, not the Lord, there it is again. If any brother has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. So apparently what was happening is, and if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. So apparently they were coming to Christ, men and women, and now that they had a, a spouse that, that wasn't a believer, they were going like, I need to, I, I need to we need to break up because we're on a whole different plane. Now, one of the reasons uh, I think Paul addresses this is contained in the next words, why they should allow. Like, if your spouse wants to stay, let them stay. Don't divorce them. And why he says this, he says, for or because the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. What in the world does that mean? And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they're holy. Now, he's talking to people who have a believing, one spouse is believing, one is not, and somehow the unbelieving spouse is sanctified, set apart in a special place with God because of the believing spouse, and the children are holy, which is just another word for set apart for God to work in their lives. And that's why you shouldn't separate. And I thought to myself, Paul, can you give me any help? And he does in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 20 and 21. Now, typically in our world, when you have an unbelieving spouse married to a believing spouse, the unbeliever isn't interested in religion at all. Typically in our world. 
if they, if they might have come from a religious background, it's not, it doesn't really mean anything to them. And it's not like they go worship somewhere else. Very few do that. Most people in our world today, if, they're, if a believer is married to an unbeliever, the unbelievers, like, yeah, religion, whatever. They're not really interested in it. Not so in Corinth. In Corinth, people worshiped all kinds of different gods. And in fact, in verse, chapter 10, verse 20, Paul says, no, but the sacrifices or the worship of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participant with demons. And so I think the underlying thing Paul is addressing is, now that I'm a believer and I have a spouse that goes and worships pagans, I'm afraid that that they're bringing influences into our home, they're bringing influences into my life, that somehow I'm participating in the worship of pagans or the worship of demons, but I, I, I want to follow Christ. And so clearly I need to send that person packing on their way. The assumption of Scripture is that Jesus is more powerful and greater than any demon that exists. That the authority of Christ given to his people far supersedes any influence that any demon can have upon us if we believe that and practice it. And so Paul's like, why are you worried? Because you believe your spouse is sanctified, meaning that, that the person is now in a position of being affected by a believer in their life. And the power of the Holy Spirit on you is far greater than the power of any demon on them. They are your my four, right in your home. And your kids are in a holy situation. They're, they're specially getting tension from God because you are a believer. Why would you rip them out of that? In fact, if you wonder if I'm telling you the truth, 1 Peter chapter 3, look what Peter says. Same, same difficulty, wives. He's, deal, he's talking to wives who are married to unbelievers. And he says, verse 1 of chapter 3 in 1 Peter, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Don't leave them. Lead them to Jesus. I think that's what Paul's saying here. Like, if they want to stay, don't be worried about what their false worship is doing to them and you, get on your knees and pray that the Holy Spirit starts to work in them because they are in a unique relationship. They are set apart because of you so that the Holy Spirit is right in their home and so are your kids. That's your prayers. Dave said it. Prayer changes things and it changes people. Maybe, rather than leaving, you should start praying. Like, really praying. Now, he goes on and finishes thought. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. 
How can you live in peace with somebody when you're forcing them to stay in a marriage? Be absolutely impossible. So if they go, they go. And then he goes, but, but now he goes back to, don't, pull, don't kick them out the door, because how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Well, clearly only Jesus saves, but what he's referring to is how do you know that you aren't the way through whom God is going to reach that unbelieving spouse of yours and your kids? Now, I understand scripture to say there are two reasons why a Christian can dissolve a marriage through divorce. One is infidelity and the other is abandonment. If they go, they go. Now, I say that glibly because I've never experienced it. But what can you do if a person says, I'm out and I don't want to be part of this anymore? Paul recognizes that. He says, yep, you have to let them go. But don't you be the one to push them out the door because you are the one through whom God is working to lead them to salvation. Again, do you want what's com- what you think is going to be comfortable? Or do you want to follow Jesus? Now I have a... There's a whole bunch of... Yeah. I've been preaching long the last few weeks. <clears throat> And there is no way that I'm going to be able to explain the second half of this chapter uh, because it just takes, it would take too much time to set it up and help you understand why I believe this is what Paul's saying. And so I'm going to leave some of it. You can, if you've got questions about the things I don't speak on, you can always email me. That's not a problem. I don't mind people emailing with biblical questions. I rather like it, to tell you the truth. Um, But then I want to skip down uh, to verse 31, the second part. And I want to just touch on this because I think it has um, particular relevancy for us in our culture today. For this world in its present form is passing away. So now Paul is going to talk about why it's better to stay single than be married. Now, he's not saying marriage is wrong. He's just saying, singleness is better. Now, for all of us married people, it's a bit of a slap. (laughs) But again, in the culture, in the sexualized culture where this church was struggling with sexual immorality, Paul is going to recommend that singleness is actually a very good idea. And unfortunately, In our churches today, typically in North America, you hear very little about singleness and you hear far more about marriage because we're predominantly, the most of us, are married. And unfortunately, and unintentionally, I believe, we've neglected the value and the calling of singleness. And so I thought, I'm going to put, I'm going to preach on this. Um, Not that it affects me because I'm married. But I think it's important for those of us that aren't married to realize that walking with Jesus and being single is as important and valued with Jesus as being married and walking with Jesus. And what he bases it on is this thought, for this present world, for this world in its present form is passing away. 
So as important as I believe marriage and family and children are, you do know, don't you, that when you die, all that stays here. That as far as I understand, and there's not a lot in scripture, the relationships that we have here will be far better there, but I don't know, I, I can't say there's such a thing as marriage and sex and children in heaven. In fact, the teaching of the church for the last few hundred years is there isn't. And this is one of the verses. Why? Because in the middle of talking about marriage, he goes, hey, you do understand, don't you, that it all ends when we're done here. So what are you living for? And I'd like you to be free from concern, he says. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. So if you're not married, all your time, all your money, all your energy can be used to serve God. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests aren't divided. Again, he doesn't say that's bad. In fact, if you read him, Paul, and other parts, caring for your marriage is a deep responsibility for a man, and he's going to say a woman. And so you need to give time and energy and money to your marriage and make it strong. But that means you've got a focus on this huge area of your life called marriage that now requires energy, time, and money that you can't give to God. And Paul says, hey, as far as I'm concerned, I think you should think that through. Now, some of you are going to go, oh, that pastor doesn't think people should be married. <laughs> I'm not saying you shouldn't be married. I'm just saying what the Bible says, that singleness is a legitimate option. Well, oh, by the way, but not if you're married. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. She gives, her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. And so she gives her time, her energy, her money, all to serve, she can use that all to serve God. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world, how she can please her husband, how she takes care of her family. Wives who are moms, would you agree with this? That it takes a lot of work to have a husband and a family. And husbands, would you believe, would you agree? It takes a lot of work to have a spouse, a wife, and children. Of course, I can say from experience, it takes a lot of energy and a lot of time and a lot of money to have a family. So I'm saying this for your good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So Paul's floating the idea, hey, marriage isn't the only option. It's a good option. It's not that it's wrong. It's just I'm floating another idea to you. And the reason is this world ends and all that's in it ends, but if you use your life to serve Jesus, that counts forever. That's what he's saying. And then at the end, he says, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. Now, the reason he's talking to women here is because even in our culture, this is generally true, but certainly was in first century culture, women outlive men. So he's got all these women in the church who are widows. <laughs> There's not a lot of guys. 
A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. So here's Paul's direction. Like if you're unmarried and you're going to get married, oh, by the way, if you want to honor Jesus in this marriage, then marry somebody who is also a believer. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays single. And I think I too have the Spirit of God. Now, I think the reason why uh, this is coming up is because Paul is very conscious. His whole life has been spent serving Jesus and following Jesus. And he's, he has learned to push aside anything that would distract him from that. And so he's saying to these Corinthians, they'll naturally head toward marriage. That's fine. It's good. Marriage is good but I want to give you an option you might consider. And that is if you want to spend your life investing in eternal things, you might want to consider staying single because you'll have all your time, all your energy, all your money at your disposable to do for God what you want. Again, not typically the message that you would hear in a church today, but it hasn't escaped my notice that Paul was single, and so was who? Jesus. In fact, here's a term, here's um, a phrase, here's a teaching that Jesus gives. So he's talking about, Jesus talking about divorce and saying, you shouldn't ever divorce except for marital unfaithfulness. And then his disciples go, if that's the way it is, it's better not to marry. That's really hard. And he's, Jesus says, not everyone can accept that word. There'll be people who go, yeah, no. But only to those to whom it is given. In other words, those who follow me. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. So do I have to explain what a eunuch is? <laughs> I think, okay, if you don't know, get your phone out right now and look it up. Okay? Google explained it a lot better than I can and with a lot less awkwardness. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. They weren't able to get married. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were all castrated when they were taken to Babylon. And there are those who choose to live like units for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. There are some who could get married, but choose for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom of heaven to devote their lives as a single person to following God. The one who can accept this should accept. Not everybody can accept this. But if it's a calling in your life, it is a noble and honorable calling. Okay, so let me close this. I said a lot, so I want to finish by saying more. <laughs> Sometimes I don't get my thinking, but uh, you know. If you're married, consider signing up for the uh, Together for Good Marriage Seminar next fall. It's fantastic. And just put that seed, you do with it what you want. 
If you're single, don't let constant references and the way our culture organize around marriage and the married make you feel second class. You know, marriage can be an idol. When we go out door to door and we knock on the door and we draw the circle and say the world is broken, but people try to find fulfillment and happiness in the brokenness, one of the things that people seek to find fulfillment in is if I just find the right person and get married, then I'll truly be fulfilled and happy. And it's an idol. It's a lie. It's great to find the right person to be married, but they won't fulfill your every need. So single people don't feel second class. Paul, Jesus, had high calling for singleness. Uh, if you have unbelievers in your home, never underestimate the power to influence them for Jesus through prayer. They are your my four. They're the people God is calling you to reach. Pray daily and watch for what God's going to do. As Mark said, be intentional. <clears throat> By the way, sex is a test for us. We live in a sexualized culture where sex has infiltrated everything from advertising, movies, books, songs, clothing, education, cultural values, politics, you name it. It's in everything. The effect is that we begin to think that only people engaging in frequent sex can be truly fulfilled. That is a lie. Sex is a good thing in the marriage. It's a great servant, but a terrible master. It will hollow your soul out if that's how you're looking to find fulfillment in your life. Now, I want to celebrate when I close those people who have watched friends and family, their marriage fall apart, and they have come alongside and they care for and minister to and spend time with people of the same gender who have gone through a divorce or have gone through a separation and they have married friends or single friends who are coming alongside them to say, we love you, you're welcome with us. I want to celebrate those of you who are doing because some of you here are involved in relationship. You are being Jesus in a very painful, lonely time. You are helping them walk with Jesus and I celebrate you. I celebrate your love for them. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, these, uh, this is your word. It just contradicts our culture in so many ways, especially around sex. And it confuses us. It puts us into temptation. It causes disruption in our lives. We hurt ourselves. We hurt one another through improper use of sex. And we struggle to obey you. But would you give us a heart to trust you you won't fail. You just won't. And so if your word is directing us in a way that is hard, it's for our good. Help us to trust you with this. Help us to be pure. Whether we're single or we're married, help us to be pure in your eyes and to honor you with our lives. In Jesus' name.